forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I misbehaved today and had a cold brew. Wow, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and a um, new homeowner. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. Thank you. Coming to you straight from this log cabin I now own and live in. You um, don't live there full time. Not full time, not full time. But yeah, Mal and I, uh, we bought a cabin. It's in the woods. We slept there for the first time last night, and um, it's super lovely. We, we, you know, we don't own any furniture or anything other than, like, we got a bed, so that's all we need. I mean, look, it took forever. When did we first see this house? May? And, like, we just closed two days ago? So it took a really long time. I multiple times was like, we're going to lose the house, which like I would look at pictures of and just be like, one day, please be my home. (laughs) Like whenever it would go poorly, like something with the seller or something, I would like go and look at the Zillow for this this house and be like, no. But you persevered and you got your mortgage and you got your home. (laughs) And we got it. Yeah, I have a I have a mortgage now, which means that I'm the person who can be like, I got to pay my mortgage. Like I'm like that. <laughs> I was like already like my sister staying at the house in L.A. and she's dog sitting for us. And our electricity bill was too high. And I like called her and was like, you need to start turning the eight. Well, we talk about this later, but it's like you need to leave. Take the AC off when you leave the house. And she was like, oh, sorry. And I was like, I hung up. I was like, I am a dad. Like I am fully calling to be like, you're taking too long of showers. Money doesn't grow on trees. Like, that's me now. Do you feel even closer to Mal now that you own property together? Yeah. I had to put together a will. And like, I say all the time. I mean, we own this house together. But I say all the time, you know, like, we're not married, which is kind of unusual, I guess, to own a house together when you're not married. So we have to figure out the whole, like, joint bank account sort of situation like we wrote down the percentages for who pays for what but ahead of time which I gotta say is a hot tip make sure all of that Mal Mal is so sweet Mal is like such such a cancer like such a little sweetie they wrote like a contract for us with all the percentages and everything and then they emailed it to me and they they uh titled it love contract (laughs) and then the contract was just like Mal and Gabby enter into this contract. And it had all the math and everything, but the beginning was like, Mal and Gabby enter into this contract in loving relationship where they love each other in sound mind or whatever. But like sound mind is normally what's in that kind of contract. But Mal added all this stuff about like, at a time in which they love each other very much was like a reminder. (laughs) Like, like, oh yes, we made this contract when we liked each other. Just in the, in the, uh, horrible, hopefully never, situation where we're like, I fucking hate you and we're getting divorced. I think that's so lovely. But my real question is, uh, when can I expect this engagement? Oh, well, (laughs) interesting. I have started like, you know, like when I was making my will and stuff to leave things to people or whatever, they were like asking me about it. And I was like, I don't see any rings on. It's so weird how naked my hands are. I don't have any (laughs) rings on these fingers. So I feel like I can do what I want. Like, obviously, I can always do what I want. I don't know. Because they said that they uh, they want to go with their sisters to, like, look, I guess, at rings. Ah! 
Yeah, I know, but I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I gave them a ring that that fits me from my jewelry box. Just like, because I was like, I don't know my ring size, but just take this and hold on to it. Um, And that was like months ago. All right. Do you know what kind of ring you want? Not a diamond. But what (laughs) what vibe? Anyway, send me photos. I have no idea. I, you know, I think people think of you buying a house together. That's a contract. Like we're... You know, like that's more than if we just like ran off to Vegas and got married like that. You can mm-hmm. just get annulled. This is like a whole thing, you know? Yeah, marriage means nothing. Mortgages are forever. I think so. Because if we just <laughs> went to Vegas and got married and then we wanted to get divorced, it's like, okay, great. You don't have anything together. You don't have any children. You don't have any, you know, like who cares? But like when you actually have like things together, it's like, I was thinking about that this morning. We're not breaking up at all. But I was like, wow, if we... If we ever break up, we got to be we got to be serious. <laughs> we we can't break up on it. We got to mean it if we break up. And I was like, that's crazy. Wow, this is so thrilling for me the most. <laughs> I don't know. Well, because also a lot of stuff's coming up where I'm like, where I'm like, oh, we could have like a, a a small wedding and then Mal will be like, no. And Mal like I think wants like a a shindig. Wow. I'm not in any sort of rush. I don't have any money. We just bought a house. I don't have any money. Uh-huh. Okay. Let Mal know I'm here. You know, <laughs> I still have my wedding date available, which is next week. So do you want that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if this was a sitcom, that is 100% what would happen. But then whoever you were going to invite, that's who's there. So me and Mal are getting married, but it's the same it's guest my list. family. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> anyway, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Yeah, that's <laughs> that last one got real checked off. <laughs> I have no idea. It's not happening anytime soon. Nobody get excited. Okay, I'm just really excited. But okay. everyone hold on to your hold on to your butts. Wow, I can't wait. Okay, I'm oh, really excited. <laughs> but if I've learned anything, engagement means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. I'm just kidding. It means a lot, but also this house means a lot and increases the likelihood that you'll actually get married. <laughs> it means nothing. The the house is what is what matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then when you have the house, you're paying for all this house stuff. I don't know how Mal's going to buy a ring with what money. I mean, there's a lot of rings that aren't that expensive that are still really beautiful, especially if you're not getting a diamond. Yeah, I don't want an expensive one. I feel like I would be so nervous walking around with that in my hand being like, what if it fall off? Yeah, or what if like your partner abruptly leaves you and then you... <laughs> And then you say, do you want, you hand the ring back as like a test and then they immediately take it and pocket it. And then you never see them again. Okay, now hold on a second. Isn't the etiquette that you keep it? Oh yeah. That's the etiquette, right? The fact that I I like handed it to him, mid him unloading this on me randomly and that he just immediately took it without any hesitation was the moment where I was like, oh, this is for real. But also that's rude. I got to keep the elliptical. Everything is fine. But that's rude. He owes you. You should keep that ring. That's rude. Also, because I paid for part of that fucking ring. Allison! Did I ever tell you this? No. Okay, here's the real tea. (laughs) Here is the tea. So I got this beautiful engagement ring that I love, but it had a thin band. And, you know, I have my sensory issues and my whatever. And so I wanted to get the band widened because when you get the band widened, it doesn't 
it doesn't slide as much on your finger. And I have to start by saying this wasn't a very expensive ring. It was a lab grown diamond. So those okay. are like considerably less money than like naturally made diamonds. Okay. So it wasn't like he had like hit his ceiling of what it was a relatively non-expensive ring. Okay. And so I was like, uh, what do, and I thought that he would be like, okay, I'll, I'll do that for you. You know what I mean? And instead I was like, well, he didn't offer. And I was like, uh, well, we could like, and it turned out that the quote we got was like $500. And I was like, well, um, we could split it. And he was like, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> And I told my mom when it happened and my mom was like, oh, okay. And then she was like, I cannot tell Allison's father or sister because they will lose it. So she didn't tell the rest of my family that this had happened because she was like, knew that it was like a really bad sign of something. But I was just like, well, I'm asking for more. So it makes sense that I would split the cost. (laughs) And then he took it back. Yeah. Every protocol is that you should Venmo him for $250. Well, I was so worried that when I was in New York, he was going to take the elliptical because we hadn't finished the payments on it and it was under his name. But he he left the elliptical here. So I guess that's like, I don't know. That's how I've justified it in my head. But the fact no. like looking back that like he made me pay for part of my own engagement ring was like not a great sign. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. When my dad and my sister found out about it after he'd already left me, they were like furious. They like lost their minds because that's really weird and also like it's not a huge amount of money for someone like him if he's already paying into the you know if he's already bought the ring but also like it's just confusing and also like protocol wise you really are so you are really supposed to keep the ring well I think it depends I think it depends who leaves right so if someone had bought me a really expensive engagement ring and then I left them I would absolutely leave them the ring right Um, or if it's like a family heirloom but in this case it was all done not not so nice (laughs) (gasps) but it's fine I've moved on I'm in love with someone who is so wonderful and kind to me but it is just like it's just funny. It's like for for months I was like enraged when I would talk about that. Um, and it would like I would be the middle of the day and then I would remember that he made me pay for part of it and then took it back. <laughs> but now I just think it's funny. <laughs> Melissa just chatted. I'm ready to fight. <laughs> Venmo him. Venmo him. Venmo him. I mean, also just like how easily he got away with this. Like, I never confronted him. I never called to yell at him. No one in my family called to yell at him. Like, he hasn't, you know, like, he got he got away pretty easy. God, uh, that is nuts. Yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> anyway, we have got a great episode for you guys today, although that probably will be the biggest tea of the episode. That was, that was a reveal. <laughs> Wow. We're joined by Kevin O'Connor, who's the host of This Old House on PBS. um, And he's going to talk to us about the future of building, climate change, the history of homes, all this stuff about home buying, which is kind of fun. Uh, It's a total coincidence that I closed my house this week and that he is our guest. So that is dope as hell. A coincidence or kismet. Kismet. And later, we're going to be talking all about compatibility. What does <laughs> and does it make you compatible with other people? Also kismet, I guess, for the beginning. I guess I guess the compatibility of being with someone who makes me pay for my own engagement is probably <laughs> low. But I have to say, like, 
it was a pandemic. I wasn't really getting any time to like talk to people one-on-one to like have any feedback that that was weird. Like, right. you know, I was in like this vacuum where I was like, everything's fine. Don't apologize. Don't make whatever. Because also like it is this weird thing of like, why, why should he be the one that has to pay for this thing? You know, anyway, I guess life's wild it comes at you fast. But before we get to all of that, we've got to answer a listener's question. So hit it. International question. International question. International question. Amaya, Kenya. Oh, we got a little rhyme there. I love it. Oh, yeah. This one will get you in the feels, or at least it got me in the feels. Here we go. Dear Allison and Gabby, I wanted to write this email for a long time, but life gets in the way, as I'm sure you both know. I want to start by saying how much I appreciate your podcast. I grew up in a community where a lot of what you talk about is taboo. So discovering your podcast has been a way to hear conversations on mental health, sex, and everything else you talk about in such a safe, inviting way. I love the honesty with which you approach everything and your humility to admit ignorance or mistakes. You truly make the podcast into a space where listeners feel included, educated, and safe. So thank you. I'm going to cry. Okay. In the last few months, I've come out of a long season of struggling with depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and self-harm. Not to say that these don't still affect me, but I'm to the point of healthy coping and being able to function much more, quote, normally, whatever that means. I'm beyond grateful for the years of therapy, healing, and medication that got me here. But now that I am here, I feel like something is missing. It's difficult to describe, but living with those issues gave me such purpose. Getting to the next day, staying alive, not hurting myself, etc. There's something about needing to fight to be okay, which gives such clarity despite all the pain I was carrying. Granted, when I was in those spaces, I wasn't really thinking about that. But now that I'm a lot better, I've moved on emotionally and physically and can pretty much coast on okay now, aside from manageable relapses. I guess I'm struggling with the living after no longer wanting to die. I still feel like myself. I have interests and friends, so I don't feel like I have to rediscover myself. It's more of a morbid missing not being okay. I was in many ways special, injured. I could go on a whole rant on the subconscious desire to be a damsel in distress and something that took all of my time and energy. I'm in a university student now, so my life is plenty busy with friends and schoolwork, but there's a part of me that misses having such prevalent, poignant struggles. It makes me want to revert to unhealthy coping mechanisms, like cutting just because I miss it but the healthy part of me interferes. Anyway, I don't want to ramble on too long. I hope this makes some sort of sense. I know that a lot of people have things that they'll deal with their whole life and may never reach this plateau that I'm on. And I hope I don't sound ungrateful or naive, but there's a part of me that just aches to give up all over again and sink into the bad. And I'm just not sure what to do about that part. Have you experienced this? Do you resonate with it? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you both for being a space I can ask these questions. Warmly, Amaya. Also, can I just say that our listeners are such good writers and they write in these really beautiful, poignant letters and questions that spin emotions and tales so beautifully. Like I just, every email is like just a a very self-aware and loving, I don't know. I just love how they, they write. Yeah, I mean, when I read this email, I immediately thought back to a time a couple of years ago where I was in a better place and it got scary Mm -hmm. because for the first time, maybe in my life, I didn't want to die at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and not wanting to die 
meant that I wanted to live. And so then I was like afraid of dying in this weird way. Like it was this really weird thing where I was like, oh, it is scary to be attached to this life. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is when you have all this other stuff, you don't have to worry about living life. And there's so much emphasis on getting better Mm -hmm. that there's no emphasis or nothing. There's not a lot of resources on like what happens next. What do you do then? And where do you focus your energy? And what do you think about? And what do you actually want to do with your time? Now you have so many options. You can do, I mean, that's the thing that people are scared of the most, I think, is like, I think in general, humanity like has a fear of the fact that you can do anything. And now you're you're finally engaging with life in a new way. And so yeah. that's really scary. But I also think that like, we don't talk enough about the fact that like, we get really used to things. And when you have any major change, even if it is an arguably a great change, mm-hmm. like getting to a stable place with your mental health, getting married, getting that new job, like mm-hmm. when there is a big transition, that unsettles things. And mm-hmm. it's, and it, you know, like you have to like adjust and grieve, even if like the thing that you're grieving isn't necessarily something you had wanted. It was the way mm-hmm. that you were used to living. Mm-hmm. So I think that like it absolutely makes sense that you're feeling this way. And I'm really glad that you were like brave enough to voice that because I think there is this feeling of like, oh, I should just be grateful that I'm mm-hmm. here. It was also interesting what they mentioned about the damsel in distress. And like, you know, there is something too when you're not doing well, you get extra attention sometimes. Yeah. And you can become attached to that attention. And so a lot of times that will be a reason why people won't necessarily get the help that they need. But instead of like feeling guilty that you have that side of you, instead be like, I have that side of me and I still got better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's the thing is like, you have all these urges, you have this disposition to like liking being helped Mm -hmm. and, you know, having found comfort perhaps and being in this place of needing help constantly. And despite all of that, you still push through and got yourself to a better place. And that's something to be so proud of. And then you also let yourself have that grace of grieving that time in your life because that's the only life you've probably known. Yeah. It's reassessing your identity. Mm -hmm. It's reassessing what kind of person you are. And it would really stuck out to me too is wanting to revert to self-harm which is you rethinking also your coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. so like that if that's what you always did then coming up with new coping mechanisms is scary or figuring out what to do instead or figuring out I mean it's kind of like when people get sober they're like what do I what do I do now you know like when I feel bad where does it go what do I do with it and if I don't feel bad I'm so used to feeling bad. It's hard to even know what activities you enjoy or what activities you even want to do. You want to go back to like what's familiar. And it sounds like that potentially like activity wise, like she's busy, she's in school, Mm -hmm. she's. But the thing that we're not accounting for is like your thoughts, right? So you're so used to your thoughts having been primarily about I'm not in a good place. Mm-hmm. I want to hurt myself. I might not want to yeah. live. Like that was the the chorus that was in your head all the time. And now it's like, well, what, what else do I think about? Yeah. <laughs> like, how do I fill that void? And so what, what do you think about instead? And then you start to maybe think about, okay, well, what do I want for the future? Oh no, suddenly I want things for the future. Suddenly I'm attached mm-hmm. to this. Suddenly I have this new goal. Like, and when your main goal is just getting yourself to a healthier place, you have a lot of control over that goal. Yeah. But then when your goals becomes things like, I want this job. 
like you don't have as much control over that. And so that mm-hmm. in itself can kind of like make you unbalanced. And so mm-hmm. you're renegotiating your internal world, your thoughts, like the way that you approach life. And of course, that's going to be a big transition and not going to feel good all the time. No, it's terrifying to want things outside of yourself, to want mm-hmm. things outside of your control is so scary. I mean, you know what I was going to say, like getting a pet is maybe be helpful because that's like happened to me, like where it helps you not focus on your own shit as much. Mm-hmm. So like having beans um, has been really great because you're not focused on your own. How do I get out of bed? How do I get better? Because I got to get out of bed. The dog has to go on a walk or whatever. So like, I think having something outside of yourself to focus on in in a really tangible way that maybe you do have a little bit more control over, such as like a dog or something, it would be helpful. That's like a tangible bit of advice that I think that was like helpful for me was having having a dog. Yeah, and if you're really used to caregiving, but it was caregiving for yourself, like now you would have something else to to care for. Yeah. But I, I think it is so awesome to talk about this because I totally understand the stigma around not talking about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've gone through times where I'm like, well, I'm doing better. So what am I even gonna, you know, like creatively, am I less interesting? Mm. Like uh, mental health advocacy is such a big part of my life, but like, am I in too good a place to do mental health? Ad- <laughs> you know, like it, it is like you get these thoughts that are like, that are strange and weird mm-hmm. when you like, when if you were just observing it from a third party, you would be like, oh, you should feel as happy. <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, truly it's terrifying because you're safe. I mean, I felt this way, like safe in being limited. And like mm-hmm. the, it's scary when it's like, oh, you could actually do the things you dream of. Like you could mm-hmm. actually do it. And then what if you do it and it's not as good as you hoped? What if you don't get it? What if you, you know, like I think it's really scary. Living life is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. So, because you then you have to just move forward and it's scary. There's no cocoon around you. There's no like, well, I can't possibly because X, Y, and Z. Right. You're starting to hold yourself to different standards because yeah. you're in a more stable place. So yeah. I, I think it's important to talk about this stuff. I also think, you know, there are going to be dips in the future, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And just like, I, I think it can be harmful to sort of think like, okay, I, I solved that. Like, you know, like you still need to be attending to your mental health. You still need to be creating new coping skills. So if you do hit a dip that you don't go back to the self-harm and your relationship with your mental health is forever. So mm-hmm. there's still a lot to be done there even if you're not you know spiraling downwards right it just because it's not an emergency 24 7 doesn't mean it's not something to still be maintained right yeah exactly you're still maintaining and so maybe switching that perspective from it's over now what it's okay now I'm in the maintenance phase yeah it's also hard because there's like legitimate like dopamine and adrenaline that comes from some of this stuff and working yourself up into a tizzy or or self-harming or all this stuff. So like your brain is probably also reconfiguring Mm -hmm. what chemicals are going where and why. Yeah, this is a transition period. And 
Mm-hmm. And um, those always cause a bit of, of unrest and of reminiscing and of growing pains. Yeah, growing pains. So all yeah. super normal. I'm excited to see how you feel six months from now, a year from now. But mm-hmm. don't add the guilt of feeling these things. You know, it's all to be expected. And I'm just so excited for you and your new relationship with life. Yeah, and I think this is a, a pretty relatable subject. Like I said, anybody who getting sober or like getting clean or, you know, it's all like like other people are like, so now everything is great. And you're like, well... Not so simple. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's so strange, but things are are rarely as simple as we want them to be. Yeah, well, it's a rebirth, you know? And and it's really, you're like, re- basically like learning, you're like taking baby steps. You're like a toddler. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that helps. Keep us updated on everything. And if you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Kevin O'Connor. So stick around. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off create an unforgettable gift for your mom this mother's day that's mylifeinabook.com use code just between us for 10% off today Hi everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best 
new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment. And she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out. And she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic, trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. back to just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show our guest is kevin o'connor kevin is the host of the award-winning pbs series this old house and ask this old house and has been on the show since 2003 kevin is also the host of the podcast clear story hello (laughs) nice to meet you gabby hello allison Hello. This couldn't be better timing because Gabby is currently sitting in their brand new house. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I can't (laughs) believe how this timed out. My partner and I bought a house on like it closed on Wednesday. We're recording this on Friday with you. I'm sitting in it right now. I have no furniture. (laughs) Congratulations on that. And welcome to the world of home ownership and all the pain that is coming your way. Thank you. We just found out that they were like, oh, we're so going to so kindly put in a new septic. We were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Then the electrician got here and was like, yeah, when they put in the septic, they cut the electricity to the shed, which was like a selling point that the shed has electric. And he was like, yeah, that's that's not a thing anymore. And we were like, ah! and so the woes begin of home ownership. Just, you're just getting started, Gabby. <laughs> Thank you. OK, so can you explain what it is you do? Like, what is your thing. So I am the host of the two shows, uh, This Old House and Ask This Old House, which are primarily on PBS, but also stream on Roku and a bunch of other places. Been around for 42 years. It's a home improvement show. It's the longest running home improvement show on television. And uh, I'm very proud to say still the most highly rated home improvement show. And we're an ensemble cast. Um, I'm the only person on the cast who's not a professional contractor. The rest of the folks are full-time contractors, carpenters, plumbers, landscapers, Scapers, masons and such. And the general theme is, is that we take an old house working with real homeowners um, who are undertaking a real renovation and we work with them to renovate the home and in the process, share those stories and educate our audience through the eyes of professional contractors on how to do it right. And my job, I'm the knucklehead. I'm you, Gabby and Allison, who aren't professionals, but you know are sort of intrepid enough to buy a house 
and want to get it fixed up. And so I asked the questions, hey, Tommy, you know, do you really have to move that wall? You know, hey, septic guy, do you really have to put in a new system? And, and if you do, what should I be thinking about when you put in a new septic system? Um, mm -hmm. And in your case, one of those things should have been don't cut the electric to the shed. <laughs> So my job as host is basically to ask the questions of the experts. And we've been doing that thing for 40 plus years and it's been to great success. And so home ownership is like a double edged sword in a lot of ways, right? Because like you said, like there's all these things that you now suddenly have to deal with, but you don't know anything about, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people often ask us, you know, what, what's the uh, formula for success for your show? Why have you guys been on for so long? And one of the sort of not so serious but truthful answer is, is because people like you keep buying old houses. <laughs> we, just keep, <laughs> we just keep getting a new crop of folks who are like, oh, I want to own a house. Oh, I have no idea what to do with this house. I have to call up a professional and get this or that. Um, so, you know, our job is sort of to demystify that because it is a big undertaking. We love mm -hmm. home ownership, um, but when you own a house, it comes with lots of responsibilities and things inevitably go wrong and have to be fixed. And how do you feel like the pandemic has sort of changed people's relationships to their homes? It has changed it more significantly, in my opinion, than anything in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, really? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, on, on our podcast, we actually explored this, this sort of idea as pandemic as urban planner. And we can get into it later. You know, there's this long history of how pandemics have affected the way we've built homes and our cities and such. But if you think about, you know, what's happened just now, we're all aware of what's going on. I'm doing this from a vacation house. I'm visiting my parents right now. So here we are having this podcast in their bedroom, um, you know, with the blinds drawn behind me. We're using our houses in different ways as we stay at home and work from home. That's certainly part of it. We ended up with a whole bunch of free time when the lockdowns were in place. And so people all of a sudden started looking around and saying, I hate the color of this paint. I never noticed it before. <laughs> or, hey, my basement would be a great workout studio or a podcast studio. Let me get to fixing it and such. I, in my house, uh, planted what I call the COVID garden. Twice, because the first <laughs> time I planted it, it died, you know, six months later, and I fortunately had the chance to do it again. So we all started to focus on our homes and look at them sort of as a more primary, central part of our lives. And it brought a lot of attention to our houses and the way we use them and think about them. And, and that's where we are right now. And a lot of people moved. I mean, people like there were different feelings about, oh, I, you know, I used to have a very small apartment and I would be like, well, I'm not here that often. And I think like now, you know, I maybe I'm part of the problem. I've moved to a rural cabin, <laughs> but, you know, people started moving away from cities into these homes and in various places. And the real estate market was bananas. bananas. Have you seen anything where it was like, like, I've seen people who are just like, I'll put in an offer on this house. It'll be over. I'm not even going to do an inspection. In, the, in some regards, how has it changed in that way? Well, a couple of points that you raised there, which are uh, you know both accurate and I think important. There had been a generation or two migration from rural to urban areas. Mm -hmm. So the downtown urban cities were filling up year after year, and that was changing the way this country operated both politically, functionally, digitally, and stuff like that. And that sort of migration from rural to urban slowed, stopped, and then reversed briefly during the pandemic because all of a sudden close proximity to um, our fellow humans, which was so exciting when we were going to restaurants and clubs and museums and downtown crowded urban spaces, that close proximity, you know, we thought 
became deadly. Uh, and so we started to try to spread out. And so people left the cities and started trying to find, you know, acres of land where they could you know, have a single family house, control their environment uh, and those types of things. I think that is a trend that is it's still continuing sort of back towards the more rural, but it is slowing and will probably, if I had to guess, would eventually slow to a point where it stops and then reverses itself. But for now, it's absolutely true. And it put a lot of pressure on real estate in places that didn't have tons of pressure to begin with. You know, So these suburban communities or exurban communities where people liked being there, but not the masses of people that were living in the cities like being there. All of a sudden, everyone was bidding for a house that had a backyard because they got tired of living on their deck in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Drives prices. It drives crazy decisions where you forego home inspections or you don't look at the house and you buy it sight unseen. Those things definitely happened. Uh, and one of the houses that we're, we're working on right now, it's not a story of crazy excess, but the homeowners were living in a downtown urban environment with a young child. And when they had access to the parks and the streets of downtown Boston, and it was okay. And then when those things sort of dried up during COVID, they said, mm, we're done with this. Apartment's too small. Get us a single family house out in a suburban community. So they bought a property and they set about upon a renovation, you know, buying it from someone who owned it for 40 or 50 years. Nothing wrong with the house, but stylistically different than what they wanted. So they're, you know, putting an addition on and making renovations to that old house. And, you know, that's what we're involved with. Do you think that renovating a house is one of the biggest strains on the relationship there is? Without question. <laughs> We have a we have a rule of thumb that it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much as you expect. And that's a big body blow to take when it comes to, you know, both your wallet and uh, your calendar. Uh, but the other thing that I don't think people realize is that, you know, strangers are in your house and mm -hmm. construction. You know, we start at 7 a.m. So the trucks roll up and the contractors at your you know back door at 7 a.m. ready to get working while you're you know in your pajamas trying to get the kids out to school or drinking a cup of coffee. It's very invasive. And when it drags on and then you add the stress of the financial component to it, uh, it is a very overwhelming process. And it can really, really put strains on relationships. And in addition to that, when everyone's gone and you're alone with your spouse or your partner that night, you're still left with a mountain of decisions of what color tile, what color paint, you know, where do the windows go? What the, you know, all these decisions that you're just like, why am I making? How did, when did I become the person who decides where <laughs> doors go and which way they open? Stuff you've never thought about. It's laid at your foot of your bed as you, you know, lay your head on the pillow at night and you've got to have a decision the next morning. It's very stressful. I woke up at 6.30 this morning because an electrician had to come to tell me that the wires are cut. There's also this thing happening with me and my partner, too, where you didn't know this stuff about each other. So, like, we're going through Bed Bath & Beyond, and they're like, okay, pick out towels. And I go and get towels, and I bring them back, and they, like, made a face. And I was like, what? And they were like, how do you have an uncanny ability to pick the ugliest thing? <laughs> like, so then that bled over to, I was like, they were like, what color tiles do you want for the bathroom? And I was like, um, maybe, like, green. And they were like, what? Like you start to be like, do I even know this person? Right. Yeah. In, in my household, I'm colorblind. So even though I'm the host of this old house, my wife gets to make most of the artistic decisions because uh, as she says, uh, I leave the house too often dressed as an army guy, brown <laughs> on green. And she's like, oh, my God. So you do you do kind of find your spots with your spouse or partner and say, OK, you're in charge of these decisions. I'm in charge mm -hmm. of those decisions. But you got to go through it a couple of times before you realize where those lines are drawn. Sometimes it's fun. Not always. It's not always fun. <laughs> Do you have advice for couples heading into a renovation? Like, should they try to talk everything out ahead of time before they even hire contractors? It's difficult to talk everything out, but the more of a plan uh, that you have before you get started, 
the clearer your objectives are before you get started, the better off you're going to be. The, the points of advice that typically come up are expect the unexpected, that twice as much, twice as long. You know, if you anticipate that, it'll help you psychologically to, you know, not be overwhelmed by it. Any decisions that you can make in advance are certainly helpful because if you have to make the decision about a bathroom tile and you've got to do it in a day or two, that doesn't give you a lot of time to look at and think about. So if you've made a lot of those decisions beforehand by looking at other things or seeing other things and writing them down, you're definitely in good stead. The other big piece of advice is work with the best person you can hire or afford. You know, a professional contractor isn't um, there just because they're a super skilled carpenter or tile layer. They're there for their experience. They're going to help you make the decisions and say, nope, don't buy that appliance because you're going to have a problem that you didn't even think about. You know, that one comes with a range hood uh, whose fan goes at 400 CFM and is going to put you into a zone where you have to make makeup air. And you're going to be like, what the heck did you just say? But a good contractor (laughs) will know exactly what that means and can steer you away from those sort of, you know, bad decisions. Um, So working with them is, is definitely important. And to me, the biggest piece of advice that I give everybody is stay flexible. Mm. Uh, Perfection is your enemy. If you insist that you want something exactly the way you envisioned it in your head, it's not always easy to do. You know, the contractor might say, well, there's an electrical line in the way and we'd have to trench around it or whatever. And perfection may end up costing you a lot of time and money if you are unwilling to be flexible in what you want. And so there's a lot of different things that can bring you happiness and they don't always end up being the first thing you thought of. So stay flexible, Mm -hmm. especially in a renovation of an old home. Building new is a little different, but in a renovation of an old home, there's so many unexpected things coming your way. I was going to say, when you're talking about contractors, how do you know when you need a contractor and how do you know when it's something that you could maybe do? There is no golden rule. uh, But in my mind, (laughs) the line is, if it can kill you, hire somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's unlikely to kill you, you might want to start doing it yourself and keep the option open to hire somebody if you fail. So what could kill you? Electrical, certainly, if you do it incorrectly, can zap you. Plumbing is probably unlikely to kill you uh, physically, but if you do something incorrect with plumbing, it could kill you financially because you could burst a pipe on the second floor and flood the entire house. So things like electrical and plumbing definitely are ones that you might want to consider a professional. Structural, move a wall, it's the wrong wall and the ceiling comes down or the second story comes down, that's a problem. So those types of things. Other than that, you know, laying the wooden floor uh, in your kitchen or the tile in your bathroom is a good chance you'll screw it up, but it's not going to hurt you. And so do it and maybe you'll learn something and maybe you'll pull it off. And if you get halfway through and realize it's terrible, well, then you hire the professional and bring them in. So that's kind of my my rule of thumb is if it ain't going to kill you, give it a try. What are your thoughts on the reputation contractors have? People are pretty wary of them, right? And how do you know if you're hiring somebody who it would be good to work with? There is sort of a persistent myth out there that contractors are going to end up, you know, cutting you dry, leaving you high and dry or cutting corners or something like that. And I think it's unfortunate. The folks who I work with are, I mean, literally salt of the earth type of people. And I see not only the quality of their work, day in and day out. But I also see the stuff that they do that the customer never even is aware of. This is one of my favorite stories. Tom Silva, who's our general contractor, carpenter, um, we were working on a house, a very old house, and the uh, back of the house floor, it wasn't level. It was pitched significantly, but it was relatively flat. And so if you can kind of get that idea in your head, flat means that 
you know, your feet don't trip on bumps and humps and dips and stuff, even if it's not level. It might be a little pitched. When we stripped the house apart and Tom Silva looked at it, he said, this floor needs to be level. We can pick this up pretty easily, jack it, straighten it. You know, he said, I could flatten this floor for you. The homeowner said, don't bother. You know, it's a 150-year-old house. We're okay with it. It's not worth the expense. Just let it be. We're fine. And beyond that, we were putting in an addition. And Tommy knew that the addition was going to be dead flat, nice and level. And so the homeowners who weren't living there, they went away and immediately Tommy went about flattening, leveling the floor that he was told not to (laughs) (laughs) because he can't help himself. And he wasn't going to charge the homeowner. You know, the the homeowner was never going to see the bill for it or whatever. He was just going to do it because it was the right thing to do. And then, you know, Malcolm, the homeowner, came by two days later and caught Tommy leveling his floor (laughs) over his objections. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? He's like, I can't help myself. I have to level this floor. So I see this day in and day out. And so my opinion of contractors is extremely high, but I don't think it's shared to your point, Alice. I don't think it's shared across the board by people. And there's reason for skepticism. I get it. There are plenty of folks who have got horror stories about contractors and such. And so that leads me to another piece of advice, which is, you know, hire on reputation. Before you hire somebody, ask around and literally ask around. Mm. Who have you worked for in the past? Can I have their name and number and give them a call and find out what the experience is like? And I think you pretty quickly find out that the types of contractors who get glowing reviews from real customers within the last year or two are probably at the top of their game and are going to serve you well. You'll Mm -hmm. probably pay premium uh, and you'll probably wait a long time to get them. But in my mind, it's worth it. Yeah. Scheduling them has been the thing because the ones that are good are busy. They're very busy. Uh, There's also shortage. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but we've got a dramatic shortage in the skilled trades right now. Um, There are somewhere between five and six million jobs, existing jobs. These aren't jobs that, you know, would exist if we created a program or something like that. These are existing jobs that are unfilled because we can't find enough people who work with their hands to fill these jobs. And so that skills gap, as we call it, um, is is very acute and every contractor who's backed up because of demand um, is also backed up for lack of labor supply. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we're all sort of paying the price for that right now. Why is there a skills gap? It's a complicated thing. There's several reasons. I I think one of the biggest reasons is that there's a little bit of a stigma right now. Uh, It's a lot sexier to go into a job that's going to take you to Google and you're going to be in technology or finance than it is to not go to college and go into the trades. We have in this country pushed the narrative that going to college is the fastest, best route to success. And a lot of people go into the trades, do not go into college. And so I think culturally, we have not um, promoted the trades as a good place for young people to go uh, to earn money and to have a job. But there's also the reality of a pay gap. You know, you, you look at what people make at some of these technology companies. I've done these studies. I don't have the numbers completely off, you know, top of my head. But, you know, you make 30 or 40 percent more if you go into some of these professions than if you do go into contracting. And, you know, dollars matter. People make rational decisions with, um, with what they do with their lives. And so I think some of these trades are underpaid. And, you know, what I tell people when they ask me, oh, what can I do to, you know, help with this problem? I say, why don't you pay your guys more? <laughs> Most people end up, you know, getting three bids and picking the lowest one or, or calling the guy they really want to work and say, hey, you put out a bid for 100. This guy's got a bid for 80. I'm going to take him if you don't lower your price. Well, I think you just contributed to the skills gap 
because mm-hmm. you just refuse to pay somebody for their experience and their quality. But it's a complicated thing. It, yeah. Regardless, there's a big gap. There's a, there's a real shortage in the skilled trades. I love the classism of somebody from Google being like, God, I need someone to do carpentry for my luxury home. And like, but then looking down on the person who will do that, like, oof, that's just such a backwards way of thinking. Eventually, everybody needs a plumber. <laughs> Right. Think about what happened with COVID, you know, frontline workers. All of a sudden, the person who drove the ambulance up to your, you know, your parents driveway became the most important person in the world or the or the ICU nurse who was working a double shift. And they put signs out front in the yards. And I'm glad they did. You know, thank you, frontline Mm -hmm. workers, for what you did. Yeah. Everyone eventually everyone needs a plumber. (laughs) Is there like a growing fear in the construction and contracting community about climate change and about like the weather getting so much hotter and it being more difficult to do construction? I I can't speak to the level of concern that the community has. There's probably too many opinions on it and thoughts that I'm not privy to, but I I can speak to the the sort of intelligence and and level of uh, building science that has increased over the last 10, 20, 30 years. And by building science in our world, that means, you know, giving thought to how well we insulate our homes so that we can reduce the heating and cooling loads, how well we uh, air seal our homes so that we can save energy and not sort of air condition air that then quickly leaks out of the house. You know, solar is great, but there's 20 different ways to install solar panels, and some of them are far superior than other ways. And believe it or not, back to the plumber's point of view, you know, if you're a plumber building a house and the general contractor hasn't told you the house is going to get solar on the roof, then you don't care where your vent pipes go through the roof. Mm. You'll just put them straight up above a bathroom that's on a second floor or first floor. Well, that could have six vent pipes going through your roof. But a smart builder and a smart plumber would you know, realize that solar panels might be going up on that roof and they can redirect those vent pipes so that they create the most open, um, unobstructed area for solar panels. So the level of intelligence and knowledge and work and science going into our homes these days so that we can reduce the consumption of what goes into our homes um, has gone through the roof. Uh, it really has. And it's unintended. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't even I didn't even catch that. Thank you, Gabby. And so lots and lots of smarts have entered the home building industry to to take that into account. It is driven by conscientious builders, uh, but it's also, I think, in a large part driven by conscientious consumers, people who are buying these services saying, I would like a house that consumes less, that uses fewer resources, net zero, or some of the terms we use and stuff like that. It's definitely top of mind for folks in, in our industry. Is it possible to do that for older homes that you are renovating? Uh, it is. And- And in my opinion, it's where we should spend all of our time. And this is not to any way to discredit what we do, you know, with new home construction. But think about this. If you're going to create a brand new home from scratch and build it, you can make it highly insulated. You can seal it up um, so that you can keep and control the air. You can easily add alternative energy or high efficiency products like heat pumps or 98% efficient boilers and furnaces and stuff. That's pretty easy. The problem is, is that we build about a half a million to a million new homes every year, and there's 125 million existing homes. So if you wanted to tackle the consumption problem that our buildings make up, you're going to need to start with the existing homes. Because even at a million new homes a year, it'll take you 125 years until we have half of our homes that were built going forward. 
So the real opportunity and challenge is to retrofit older homes to make them more energy efficient. And that's a pretty sophisticated level of construction as well. The, the, the opportunities to do that are definitely out there. We can, and we, this is what we do on this old house. We, we don't build new houses. Typically right. we're working on 100 and 160 year old houses. We're working on one in Saratoga Springs right now from 1864. So what's that, 147 years? Someone help me out with the math. Yeah, 150 years. Oh my God. Everything we do is going to be to improve the comfort and the efficiency of that house. And we've got lots of ways that we can do that and we apply those to every house that we sort of renovate. It's important to do, in my opinion, more important to do on the existing homes than it is to do on the new homes, because mm -hmm. that's where we're spending all of our resources. That's where all the heat and cooling are, are leaving our houses. Do you run into issues if these houses are so old that they're like historical and they like have certain things that you can't change by the city? Are you still able to retrofit them in certain ways? Uh, we are. The historic commissions are very local, so it depends on where you are, what you can and can't do. We very rarely run into cases where the uh, requirements from the historic commission prohibit upgrades for efficiency and energy and those types of things. Every once in a while you do. Um, <laughs> we had a funny situation where we were renovating a house in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the historic commission, it was, a, it was an old Victorian. Um, we had to keep the outside looking historic and the inside, we could do whatever we wanted to it. The house had been renovated in the 1970s, even though it was built probably in the 1870s. And in, the, in that 1970s renovation, they put in these really bad windows. We were going to pull out the bad windows that were not energy efficient, weren't original to the house and didn't look original. And we were going to replace them with custom-made windows to look exactly like the originals, but also to be energy efficient. And the historic commission said, you can't do it because we have a prohibition on changing windows out in any circumstance. And we said, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, we need to sort of solve this problem. And we went back and forth and they wouldn't budge. And we finally kind of just put our foot down and said, well, then you have to show us the sort of bylaws. I forget the terms, but you know, show us the bylaws where it says we can't do this. At which point we found out that the historic district wasn't a real district. It was just a bunch of people from the neighborhood who for 40 years had come up with these rules <laughs> and were like, well, this is just the way we've been doing it. And we're like, well, that ain't going to work. And so we went and we put in the brand new windows over their objections, oh but we God. were within our right. That is a rare case. Um, <gasps> most often the historic district is there to protect the feel of the neighborhood and the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to get in the way of modern conveniences and energy efficiency and stuff like that. If you have like a house that's, I don't know, maybe like 30, 40 years old and everything's working fine, but you want to be more energy efficient, like what changes are the first ones you should make? Behavioral. People are going to want to go spend a lot of money to put alternative energy on the roof or to upgrade a heating and cooling system. And in nine times out of 10, the biggest thing, most impactful thing you can do is to change your behavior, consume less. It's really, it's small stuff. You know, if you're in an air conditioning environment to air condition less, you know, make sure that you've got setbacks on the thermostat so that you're not air conditioning at home when you're not there. Be intelligent about if you're away from the house at work to let the temperature rise and then have it, you know, cool down closer to when you come home. Behavioral things like that. Use less water, irrigate less, change the planting, those types of things. After the behavioral, which is always the biggest impact that you can make after the behavioral type of thing, the next thing you really can do is the air sealing of the house. Uh, and by that, I mean, you guys up for a little complicated explanation here? Oh, like yeah. How do you okay, yeah. Let's do it. There's a metric called ACH, air changes per hour. So think of all of the volume of air in your house. Your houses leak. 
through windows and doors and cracks and foundations and sills. The average American household has a five to seven ACH per hour. So that means that all of the air in your house will escape and be replaced with fresh air five to seven times every hour. So that's every nine to 12 minutes. What? What? Gabby? Gabby, I can't, I don't know much about your house, but I'm looking behind you and you're probably a 12 ACH. Your house is probably <laughs> horrible at this. Your little log it's cabin. A, it's a straight up log cabin, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're a 20 ACH or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is if you're running the air conditioning, I'll use air conditioning because it's the summertime right now. If you're running air conditioning and you're trying to get hot, humid air down to 70 degrees, cool and dry, you've got to cool all of the air in your house five, six, seven times an hour. Oh my God. It's insane, right? So the single biggest thing that we can do to reduce consumption and thereby increase the efficiency of our homes is to control the air leakage, to seal our houses and to seal them correctly so that we then bring in fresh air and ventilate. We don't want to cause problems by oversealing the houses, but by controlling the leakage of air, which we have to condition to make it comfortable, warm or cool, we can reduce the amount of energy we use to condition our homes significantly. And if you think about, you know, every nine to 12 minutes, all of that air leaving, or in your case, Gabby, every two minutes (laughs) (laughs) in your quaint log cabin, that's what you can really do to improve the efficiency of your house. And then after that, there's things like insulation, but then it's upgrading your mechanical equipment. You know, if you've got a 20-year-old boiler or a 20-year-old furnace or a 15-year-old air conditioning system, when they go or when they're close to going, you can replace them with significant significantly more efficient equipment that will deliver the same level of comfort for a fraction of the uh, power usage. Okay, well, I got to go turn off my air conditioner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And also, would you like to play a game show? Do I have a choice? No. Okay, so this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many clarifying questions as you want, and then you would tell me what you would do in that situation. Okay. I got it. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 26 years has major surgery. While still in the hospital and on a lot of pain medication, they call up their high school flame and admit to still being in love with them. (laughs) They do this not realizing that you are in the room and can hear everything. (laughs) When you bring it up later, they have no memory of making the call. Would you stay with this cheater? Mm. Heavily medicated cheater. Mm-hmm. Ke- Kevin, your thoughts on the situation? Uh, well, I want to start with the questions just because I can ask the questions. Why not? Yes, of course. How powerful are the meds? Pretty powerful meds. It was a major uh. surgery. And so they were still coming off of the anesthesia and they were okay. had some pain medication. What is their current relationship to the high school flame? Are they in contact? Are they friends? Have they not talked in years? What's the situation? Haven't talked since they broke up. So like 30 years ago? Yeah, but it's curious why they have their phone number. Yeah, why do they have their phone number? Well, that's the, the next question was, how did they contact them? Via text or like Facebook? Like they still had the phone number? They got the phone number from a mutual friend and then made the call. Were they on drugs when they got the phone number? Um, Yes. Damn. Was the surgery related to any brain operation? <laughs> Was there like a frontal lobe, lower lobe thing going on or was it like an appendix? It was a knee replacement. I feel like 
there's more going on. Why did the friend give the number? Were they saying that they were unhappy? They're still in love with them. I feel like, you know, I don't often go in this show, but I feel like I would go. Really? Wow, really? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, that's harsh. I'm staying. They don't even remember making the phone call. Yeah, I'm staying. Pain meds are like Vegas. What happens on pain meds <laughs> stays in the hot, like, like, no, come on. People are, have you ever seen those videos of like people who've got on Novocaine yeah. and they're riding home and they're saying crazy stuff? Like, that's what I'm envisioning. <laughs> I'm envisioning a teenager getting a wisdom, a tooth pulled yeah. and they're still on Novocaine <laughs> and they're denying that they know their parents or something like that. No, I'm staying. I'm definitely staying. This is unusual for me, but I'm going to go real conservative with it. Well, I, I hate to break it to you, Kevin, but they are still in love with their former <gasps> high school flame. And once they're more mobile after their knee surgery, they actually run away from you <laughs> and wow. run towards their ex. Wow. Wow. But this, was, this, was this a fix? I make it up as I go. <laughs> I know. I get it. Okay. Well, then I'm, I'm going to take my lumps and lose my partner, but I'm going to go out on the moral high ground that I gave them all of the benefit of the doubt as I possibly could. That's true. That's beautiful. Our second game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, eight, is very competitive with their younger sibling, four. They never want you to pay attention to their sibling and often bemoan the fact that they were even born. To help them realize how much they love their younger sibling, you pretend that you gave their younger sibling to your family across the country to raise so that you can focus solely on them. Are you a terrible parent? Really, the younger one is just at a play date. I see. Well, how do they react? They start to freak out that they gave, that you gave away their sibling. So they believe me that I gave the little one away. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I say you're a good parent. Now that kid knows that they really do love their sibling and they don't want the sibling to get taken away or they don't want to be an only child. So I think you actually taught them a really valuable lesson. Tough love. You're going with the tough love thing, Gabby. Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to think of like if my... Because my younger sister pulled focus. So if my mom had told her, oh, I sent Gabby away to live you know, in with Grandma Lee in New York or whatever, maybe she would have been nicer to me. <laughs> I don't know you guys well enough. Do either of you, you either of you have kids? No. No. Okay. I didn't I didn't suspect that, but so I'm gonna go the opposite of Gabby on this one. I do get you on the whole sort of tough love thing, like you've taught them the lesson or whatever. But yeah. in my I've got three kids, sixteen, twelve and twelve. So I've been at it for a while. In my in my experiences, the second you start lying to them, it comes back and to, to haunt you, you know, like the little the little white lies and stuff. Like, even like the tooth fairy Santa Claus thing causes problems when the reality, you know, when they find out the truth and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just looking over my shoulder to see if anyone are listening about the tooth fairy. <laughs> well, they know about the tooth fairy. Or maybe he's so deep in this lie. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, my kids are smart enough to know that they should not acknowledge the fact that they no longer believe in any of these things because there's financial reward on the other end if they propagate the lie with me. They're like, well, Santa mm. brings presents and the tooth fairy drops a couple bucks in my pillow. So I'll go along with yeah. this. Anyway, <laughs> now nah, I'm not I'm not doing the. I got rid of the it's kind of demented. Like I gave a kid away. <laughs> Like, who's the mental health expert here? Like, who's who's the one that, like, what's the effect of telling the older sibling that you're capable of giving a child away? Like, what does that do to them? And I would go, and if you act up, I'll give you away, too. Wow. So Gabby won't be having children, and Kevin won this round. 
That's fair. <laughs> you are a terrible parent. You should not do that. <laughs> but as we learned from the first game, I'm also a single parent at this point. Yeah. That's true. You have. Yes. You have been left. Okay. <laughs> so our final game. Is this a date? You've started hanging out with a close-knit group of coworkers. You all decide to go to Disneyland for the day, and one of your new friends asks if you can be ride buddies, a.k.a. ride all the rides in the same car. No one else in the group has a designated ride buddy. Is this a date? Why do they want a ride buddy? They just think they, they said that, they, that you're the only one they want to ride the rides with. Are they cute? Oh, yes. That doesn't determine if it's a date or not, Gabby. It <laughs> determines if I want it to be a date. That's true. <laughs> Why did they want to go to Disneyland? <laughs> First of all, how dare you? I'm sorry. I'm not a Disney guy. Well, I've never been to Disney World ever. Really? So how do you know you're not into it? I was going to say you're a terrible parent. You never even took your kids to Disney. I look at fake mice on TV waving at me and I'm kind of keep creeped out. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I think that they I think they're flirting. I think I don't know if it's a date because I haven't like asked me on a date. But I mm. think like I think like something's brewing. Ooh. I'm with Gabby on this one. I think they're flirting. And if you if you ride buddy with them, which is almost as creepy as going to Disneyland <laughs> with work colleagues. But if you ride buddy with them, they're going to see it as a date. I'm with I'm with Gabby on this one. And you hold hands on Splash Mountain. Actually, they make out with you on Splash Mountain right as you're going down the big decline. And it's very disorienting. (laughs) (laughs) That wouldn't go over at the workplace these days. That's true. You can't do that. And it's on camera. They took a picture of it. So now there's proof. Yeah, they end up getting fired. (laughs) And that picture goes up in your workplace and it says, this is a warning. Do not do this. Yeah, and then people are like, not go on Splash Mountain? <laughs> <laughs> they should make out at, uh, what's the one in the where it's in the dark? Yeah, Space Mountain. Yeah, Yeah, be smart should. about it and do it in Space Mountain when the lights are <laughs> off. What am I doing? What, am I, what, what did I agree to here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hypotheticals really throws people through a loop. Pun intended. Get it? Oh, because it's a ride. Because yeah, it's a roller coaster. Pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, this game is a roller coaster. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun and informative. Where can people find out more of what you're up to and listen to your new podcast? Uh, Well, Clear Story, which is from This Old House, is on Apple and Stitcher and all of that. So just look that up. Go to our website, thisoldhouse.com. They can find me on Instagram, TikTok, those types of things. Kevin O'Connor, T-O-H, which is for This Old House. So Kevin, there's a lot of Kevin O'Connors in the world. So I'm Kevin O'Connor, T-O-H. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about compatibility. Just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. 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 So this week I wanted to talk about compatibility. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you normally have a reason. What are you talking? Every single time you're like, well, because. And now I say, well, I say some unusual question and you act like I'm nuts. Uh, no. Okay. I think the reason why is because I just read my friend's upcoming book about relationship OCD so that I could like write an endorsement for it. And she has like 
a different approach to like her whole thing is that like relationships should be good enough. And and she sort of explores like the myth of the one and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so compatibility wise, like it made me, you know, people seem to think that like you have to be like completely compatible with your partner or completely compatible with your friends. And I don't think that's true, but I do think that there has to be a certain level of compatibility and it has to be yeah. compatibility about certain things. And so I was just wondering, like, what are deal breakers for you with friends and with partners? Mm. And like, what is stuff that like you can be like seemingly like completely incompatible with somebody about, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, people will have various different opinions about this. I think like, again, that I'm just speaking for myself, but I think like politics has to line up. Yeah. It's interesting because family is kind of a you I think you've said this before to me that like if they have a family that isn't great it's okay as long as they know that if the family is awful and then the person is like what are you talking about they're perfect that will be a problem I don't think that's compatible because you're then you're not going to be on the same team about that kind of stuff to me it's a lot of stuff that's like are you guys going to be on the same team I think you cannot be 100% compatible but I think at the end of the day you have to be on each other's team, you have to be the same team and mm-hmm. you can't have beliefs or things going on that are like oppositional to each other in a way that is like oppositional to each other's happiness or oppositional to each other's ability to feel supported. I don't know. There's people that are like, well, you know, we have different politics, but we're still married. And it's like, that's interesting to me because if their politics includes oppression of a group that you are in, how does that, you know what I mean? Like, I think that gets easier for some people than other people. And I wonder if a lot of those people are lying to themselves. (laughs) Or they just don't value politics. Or they don't value it. They don't value it. So if you, if you're not that political or you don't care that much about politics, then if your partner has different politics, it doesn't matter. Whereas for us, politics is like one of our main values. So like, of course it would have to be aligned. I think you should be compatible on bedtime. Well, I was going to say, so I don't think you need to be compatible on interests, but I do think you, it helps if you're compatible on lifestyle. Yes. So if like one person is going out all the time and wants to go out all the time and you're more of a home buddy, that's tricky. But if Mm -hmm. someone is like, I love NASCAR and I want to watch NASCAR a lot. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I would prefer to read my fiction novel. Mm -hmm. That's fine. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. Because you could do those things in the same room together. Yes. Or you have to be someone who doesn't care that you go to bed at different times. Yeah. It's like really figuring out like, what do you care about? And do they Mm -hmm. match up on those things? Yes. But also it helps to be like, we're compatible on like where you want to eat food. That's Mm -hmm. a huge one. Mm -hmm. Like what food do you want to have? And what time is dinner? (laughs) I've gotten so boring. But like also, you know, I think like there's stuff that you don't realize. Even like I would recommend taking a trip together before you settle in. You know, like even just a long car ride. (laughs) Figure out out how that works. You know what's funny is that like I've had – so many relationships and so many of them, like the biggest fight of incompatibility has been driving method oh. of driving, how one drives. I'm not telling tales on Mal. Cause like, this was a problem with Garrett. This was a problem with like all these other people I dated where it would be like, they don't like how I drive and I don't like how they drive. And that is a source of tension. <laughs> mm, that's so interesting. How do you negotiate that? I just have to like, be like, it's fine. And Mal has to 
Well, Mal doesn't like. Mal thinks I speed. But personally, I go, Mal can criticize. Like, Mal can have their opinion on how I drive. I can, you know, the only thing I can control is if if it, it upsets me. Mm. If I can control, I can control that I just go, okay, and then I slow down. You know? Mm-hmm. That has taken so much work for me. To be able to, like, hold on to my feelings and be like, it's not an indication of anything bigger. It's just that you are over the speed limit. They're not telling you you're a bad person. But it is funny because I think incompatibilities in relationships have really, for me, come out by everyone's way of driving. I think Mal is too slow. I think they... (laughs) And they know. They know that. I think that... And I also, like, think that they wait too long on turn. Like, you know, like, when you're turning and you got to wait for the cars or whatever, and they'll, like, wait way too long until... Like, you could have gone, you know? But they're, like, they're very scared. Cautious driver. But they also, you know, we have to come to some sort of agreement on, like, you can tell me to slow down, but and then, but I can't rise to it. Like, I can't be like, I'm not fucking doing anything wrong. Like, I just have to be, you know? So, like, but it's funny because with Garrett, we literally, multiple times, I didn't like how he was, or he didn't like how I was driving. And so I just pulled over and was like, and got out of the car and was like, get in the car. Drive. If you're so perfect, fucking drive. And that was a younger me. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that that comes out so much. (laughs) I think you spoke to something really important, which is like, how do we take in when your partner does criticize something? Yeah. Or you're different. You're different. Or you're different. Like, does it is it just, okay? we see it for that one single thing or does it become something we see as like them judging our entire personality and life and everything. Yes. So I'm I'm old now. I'm just kidding. I'm 33. But like in the past, I would I mean this relationship is really like I've therapized everything. Like I my whole thing is trying to be like, this is not indicative of something bigger. This is just what's happening right now. It's not a big deal. You can control how upset you're going to let this make you. Is this worth, like, upending this whole vacation? Like, probably Mm -hmm. not. My every fiber of my Gemini bipolar being every time wants to be like, this is, and just, like, blow the car up. Like, every fiber of me wants to, like, slam a door and take a plane and, like, be, like, so dramatic. And I have to work so hard just to be like, it's a car. Like, it's fine. You're driving to a store. Everything's Mm -hmm. fine. And that is a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, they say that like, you know, a lot of the time it's not that it's not how you fight. It's how you resolve the fight. Correct. Exactly. Like there will be conflict. But how do you resolve that conflict? Exactly. And so if one person's way is they want to talk it all out immediately and the other person wants to go cool off for an hour, that could be a tough, you know, that could potentially Mm -hmm. at first be seen as an incompatibility until you sort of figure out like, what works? Is there a compromise? Is there a way to say the reason I'm taking this time to cool off isn't because I don't love you. It's because Mm -hmm. I know I'm in a reactionary state. And the best way for us to talk about this is for me to calm down first, you know, and like Mm -hmm. learning each other's attachment needs and Mm -hmm. being better at understanding them and providing what the other person needs. Like that, I think is the biggest thing is like this willingness to work through whatever in- incompatibilities or different ways of approaching mm-hmm. things like will willingness is what it always comes down to. I think it's also communication. Like when you're by yourself, you don't have a witness to what you do. And so you don't have to answer for anything. So like if I want to do something weird and I don't want to be judged for it, 
tough shit. Like, well, you know what I mean? Like you, you're and it. And if it's going to like affect Mal or, or hurt Mal or, you know, like I feel like I'm really learning how to voice every single thing. And Mal mm-hmm. is super, Mal is like a psychic. Like Mal is like super empathic. So like before I've even realized that I'm having a negative thought, Mal will be like, are you okay? What's wrong? And I'll be like, how the fuck did you? <laughs> but like, it's not about them, right? So like, nor- you know, my normally I would be like, Nothing, like literally nothing. But then I will go, but then it's like painful, but I have to do it where I'll be like, I actually just remembered something bad that I did a year ago and I had a fleeting thought about it, but Mm -hmm. I'm okay. It's even like, then they'll, you know, they'll be like, oh, did I do something wrong? Like, am I whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm just thinking about how yesterday I stepped in a puddle. Like, it's very simple. You know what I mean? But like, I'm learning how to just like say, the reason I'm upset is blank. Mm -hmm. And then it's just, and then it'll be like three unrelated stupid things, you know? And and you're worried about sounding frivolous or being judged or something, but it's better than letting Mal be like stewing, thinking, what did I do wrong? When what really happened was I saw an Instagram story that made me jealous. I like read an email that was annoying. And the other day I scuffed my shoe and I'm thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like, so that, and like, you're like, I'm sorry, those are all stupid, like random thoughts, but that's what made me like, like shift my energy and it's better to do that than to be like leave me alone why are you asking me all the time what's wrong and also like what like <laughs> um mal going around being like oh gabby's mad at me for x y and z when that's not even the problem wow i have to commend your growth it's it's been amazing to watch thank you so much it's nuts <laughs> it's counterintuitive but i go okay you don't what you don't want to do is list out all the frivolous reasons you're upset because you don't want to get judged. What you need to do is list out all the frivolous reasons you're upset so that Mal has all the information, they know everything that's going on and they don't think it has to do with them. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, that's not usual. That's not what I'm naturally like. But if it came naturally to you, then that would be easy, but it doesn't and you're still able to do it, which is what's impressive. So compatibility, you can change. <laughs> no thank you I have no thanks I appreciate you saying that yeah Melissa do you want to come in and share your thoughts and maybe give some praise to Gabby yeah I just think that it's it's cool that you have such a like the the standpoint that you have and how you're like I gotta lay everything out so they know it's not something that they did it's embarrassing though because sometimes they'll be like why did you just get upset and I'll be like Oh, because I remembered in middle school that I like farted. Like, why are you, leave me alone. <laughs> but like, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I also think there's a middle ground where you don't always have to share the exact content. No, sometimes I go, it's not you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful too. Therapy, baby. <laughs> you're, you're just an endorsement for couples therapy. <laughs> no, and singular therapy. My therapist, my therapist, Kristen, tough love. Hard. She's a she's a hard butch woman. <laughs> what did we rate this episode? I rate it eleven out of ten. A H C. What did he call it? A H C. Whatever. Where the air leaves your house. The air leaves your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I was gonna rate it uh, thirty out of twenty eight leaky cabins. Ooh, very good. <laughs> and I'll rate it 70 out of 60 Gabby Growths. Beautiful. Sounds like I have like a benign tumor. <laughs> That's fair. What an episode. Thank you so much to Kevin O'Connor for being a guest. Just a tweet us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. 
and me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our own YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. And at Allison Raskin, at Gabby Road, and at She Is Not Melissa. And please leave an Apple review. We we keep forgetting to mention that, but it's actually incredibly helpful to the show. We really want to grow this show. So if you could, please rate and review. Just quickly give us a five star. You can write absolute nonsense in the comments, and we'd still really appreciate it. Thank you! Forever! Forever!